this morning I'm blessed to follow up Andrew's awesome message last week where he called us to magnify God in all that we are and in all we do. He explained in depth how this happens as a result of the head, heart, hands process of transformation God is working on us. And this isn't particular importance in light of the enemy that we face and how evil that enemy is. See, I've seen how this enemy works. I've seen Satan take a preacher I admired and have him asked to leave the congregation he led, only to start a new congregation and actively pursue and pull members from one to the other. I've seen Satan attack an elder who had served faithfully for nearly 20 years, only to have him resign after having an affair after 30 years of marriage. I've seen countless families torn apart by greed, anger, malice, deceit, covetousness, and money. And I know you could share many more stories this morning of how evil is alive and at work in the world around us. The Bible tells us in John 10.10 that Satan is a thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5 or 8 that Satan is a prowling lion who is roaring and out to get us. He's the prince of evil, the commander of the rebellion against God, and he wants your soul to burn along with his. But he's a crafty adversary. We learned this way back in Genesis 3.1. And he will disguise himself as an angel of light, as it states in 2 Corinthians 11.14. And in John 8.44, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. How serious do you take this threat? See, he wants you destroyed. And yet, how many of you today have taken note of this this morning while you were getting ready to come here? How many of you, if you're being honest, thought about, oh, Satan's out there. Evil's in the world, and I am in a war for my soul. How many of you guys thought of that this morning? Because last night, while you slept, he was working. He doesn't need to sleep. And long before you even existed in thought, he was. He is more deadly than any disease you could ever conceive of. And he's more persuasive than any tyrant or dictator that's ever walked this earth. He is pure evil. That which is in direct opposition to God. Because that's what evil is, right? Evil isn't a sub some subjective thing. We get to choose this is good and this is evil. No, good and evil are objective measures. If God is good, then being contrary to God is evil by definition. And that's who Satan is, evil. And for those of us who are in Christ, we've been called to something entirely different, amen? We learned last week that we were called to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. Andrew brought that to us last week. And in Ephesians 4.1, Paul will speak from prison saying the following, Therefore I... The prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. Or he'll repeat this in Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. As believers, as those who are bought by the blood of Christ, those who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we are called to something different than evil. And I want to talk about that this morning because that's what Paul's laying out before us. But I want to start by asking this easy question. What does this look like? Like, what does this battle that we're facing look like? 
In Psalms 34, 14 through 15, the psalmist writes this, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cries. Depart from evil and do good. There is, there is an, a time, a point in time that we make a decision to depart from evil. Right? We repent. We turn away from sin, and we turn to God. But there are times throughout each day where we have to make the decision to depart from evil and turn back to God, right? Because repentance is an ongoing process. And though we are justified by faith and fully secure in our salvation through Christ alone, we still have a lot of room to grow in sanctification. It's another way God is saving us. So this is what we're presented with in Scripture really clearly. Satan uses deception, outright lies, and his craftiness to ensnare us. He takes the evil things of this world and makes them look appealing to us. He is longing to win us away from God and for us to cling to evil in our lives. God wants us to walk in a worthy manner as living sacrifices, worshiping and magnifying him daily, in essence, to cling to his goodness in our lives. We have a choice to make. Which brings us to our main text today, Romans 12, 9 through 21. So if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can follow along. It says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Those who persecute you, or bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. And do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage, right? And it's long, so I want to take some time to break it down. I want to start by saying, if we're truly going to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel and walk out our calling as living sacrifices, we must begin this process at the beginning of verse 9. Let our love be without hypocrisy. See, in the previous passage, Andrew laid out a list of spiritual gifts, and I hope you guys took that test. I saw a lot of people did when I posted mine. It was kind of neat to see what other people got. And he explained how each person was given different gifts and how each gift was to be exercised or used in different ways. So if you're going to give, you're going to give generously, right? But this morning, I want to tell you, love is the exception. Love is a spiritual gift from God. It's a fruit of the Spirit, the kind of love he's talking about. And it's a universal gift that is to be exercised without hypocrisy, or with sincerity. That's the other way you can look at it. 
That's how you exercise love. No one who is in Christ doesn't have this gift. And it is a gift. Amen? If we're going to love the way God has called us to love, God had to equip us with the capacity to love the way God loves. Because in and of ourselves, we don't love like God loves. And to be without hypocrisy means this. To have a love that is free from the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. That's what that means. To have a love that is free from the practice of claiming to be something it's not. And there's a lot of that going on in our lives, if we're honest, right? The foundation, this is the foundation of the sacrifice God has called us to live in Romans 12.1. In order to live sincerely and with integrity and faith, we have to offer ourselves up daily as a sacrifice. Because in our flesh, in the weakness of our flesh, in the place that Satan can tempt us most, we do not love as God loves. And so we have to decrease so that he might increase. I love that Derek picked uh, more like Jesus today, and he said, I picked that because you always sing with the youth group. But I love the song because I love the idea, the idea that as we decrease, Christ becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives. And we begin to look more and more like the image of God that we were created to be in Christ. So I want to talk about a little story. This is the next slide. So Cody's here, and I asked him. I got permission for my boy Cody this is Cody when he was little. So a little bit of backstory. Cody's mom passed away a little bit over five years ago. And any of the one that's lost a parent or close family member knows how difficult that is. Anyway, a couple weeks back, he was looking through his yearbook. And he saw this in the back of the yearbook. And I accidentally cut it off when I was snipping it. But down at the bottom, this message is signed by his mom. And she says, Cody, happiness comes from within. Thank you for sharing yours with me. I am so proud of you. God bless you and keep you safe. I love you, Mom. And so he saw this and he posted this on Facebook because it really touched him. And it was, it was a powerful moment, I think, for anybody that was looking at it. But even more powerful to some extent was the post he made when he wrote this just a few, maybe a week later, Cody, right? He gets an anonymous package in the mail. And it's a big blown-up canvas of this, just this part, right? Anonymous. And this is what he writes when he posts this on uh, Facebook. No words. Literally had to sit down after I opened this box today. Not sure who did this, but what a surprise it was. Thank you doesn't feel sufficient, but thank you. This is what sincere looks, love looks like, right? Not just the person that sent this to him, but his mom, who's speaking from beyond the grave, the love that a mother has for their child is the kind of love we're talking about. It's not hypocritical. The love a father has for their child is not hypocritical love. It's a love that is without condition and that can't be held back by time and space. It will transcend time and space. All of you have been blessed by her words this morning and she would never meet you in this life. That's what sincere love can accomplish if the body of Christ begins to look like the body of Christ ought to look. This is the foundation of our Christianity. It calls us to a true integrity in our faith, and it requires us to do the second half of verse 9 in order to accomplish it. 
Verse 9 finishes with, abhor evil and cling to good. You want to have a sincere love? You want to have a love that's free from hypocrisy? Then you must abhor evil and cling to good in your life. To abhor means to regard with horror or loathing. It means to detest. And it ties into Romans 12 too. Our minds are truly transformed into the image of God when we abhor evil and cling to good in our thoughts and beliefs. How do you know that you're growing in Christ's likeness? Well, you think about things the way God thinks about things. And you feel about things the way God feels about things. And your thoughts and your beliefs, and then in your heart, and then you behave the way Jesus would have behaved in your hands. This is how we know we're growing in Christ's likeness when we abhor evil and cling to good. In 2004, I became a disciple of Christ, a Christian, and the very first thing I had to do was throw away the majority of my favorite music, which many of you know, especially at that time, was hip-hop. And I had something around 70 gigabytes of digital hip-hop that I probably mostly pirated. Um, and there's probably 50,000 songs, not lying. And I'm, anybody that knows me knows I'm pretty organized, so they would be categorized by the year the record label, the artist, the album, the song. I mean, I spent a lot of time cultivating this list. I had stuff that no one has ever heard of. Yet, the first thing I had to do was rid my life of that. And I don't want to make this sound bad. It's not because hip-hop itself is evil, but because the kind of hip-hop I listened to was. And it was difficult for me to do because I really connected with it. I had a whole CD case, you know, this big... CD case that like 350, 400 CDs in, got rid of that. That was, that was hard because those were like $20 a piece when I bought them. You know, back, anybody that lived in the 90s knows that CDs were expensive in the 90s. So I cultivated that list. I mean, I spent thousands of dollars, got rid of it. Because I knew something really important about myself, that nothing good would come of me continuing to listen to the music that I listened to before I came to know Jesus. And I was surprised, though, to notice that as time wore on, that music became less and less appealing to me. Meaning I wasn't drawn to it. It wasn't like hard for me not to listen to it. The closer I grew to God, the more I began to see how evil the content really was. And it was so opposite of God that I found myself at times abhorring the messages I once loved. That's what transformation looks like. The things that you once loved in the flesh, you begin to hate in Christ because God hates them. God doesn't hate the people or even the style of music. He hates the message and the heart that that message is coming from. Remember I said earlier that enemy Satan has it out for us, and I meant it. But I also said that his ways are deceptive. And hard to spot because he's very crafty. He has done a really good job of making evil look good. He has. He makes it look good, right? And he really does things that take us off our game. You know, one of the best devices he can use is comedy. You will listen to or watch comedy that is totally ungodly because it's funny. And you don't take it as serious because it's comedy. Like, come on, it's just a joke. It's no big deal. In our culture, comedy has been one of the number one tools Satan has used to sway the minds of even believers toward ungodliness. Well, you know, 
people's favorite shows. Think about Friends, a very ungodly show. Very ungodly when you look at the content. All I need to say is Joey Triviani, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Likeable guy, nice guy, don't have anything against him. Like the show. Very ungodly, very evil. The whole show is predicated on evil. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying it's evil. It's contrary to what God teaches. Now, are there some elements of goodness? Sure, love, the relationship, the connection. That's what draws us to it. But while we're getting that, we're also getting fed promiscuity, right? We're also getting fed do you, live your life. There's no pursuit of anything bigger than themselves. It's just about them. And I could go on and list a million things, and I'm not here to censor what you watch, what you say, I'm not a legalist. But I am saying you need to know your sin appetite and don't put yourself in a situation that's going to harm you. Because certain people need to protect themselves from certain things. And you know what I'm talking about. So what I mean to say about this evil looking good is that Satan has taken something that's completely objective, evil, that which is contrary to God and made us regard it in a subjective manner. Made us begin to be the judge of whether it's good or bad. We throw evil out. For instance, let's look at Snow White. You guys all know the story, right? In a final attempt to kill Snow White, the queen transforms herself into a seemingly harmless old lady so she can approach Snow White. We see her being very shrewd or crafty in this. Then she offers a good-looking and presumably tasty apple to Snow White. But that good apple was really poisoned, which causes Snow White to go into a coma, right? You guys know the story. When you look at this scene from the outside, it's clear that what Snow White thought was a good woman offering something good to eat, this apple, was really an evil woman offering an evil apple, and it nearly cost her her life. But guess what? It did cost Adam and Eve their life. And by extension, us. And Adam all die, right? That's what it says in Romans chapter 5. Because they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, which looked good and tasted good, we all die. Because eating the fruit when God said not to was evil. You hear what I'm saying? The fruit was good tasting. It looked good. And I'm sure being knowledgeable is a good thing. But when God says no, it's evil, whether we think it's good or not. We cannot merely abhor evil in our lives, however. We have to replace that evil with good. Or you can't just take something away. There has to be a replacement. And not only replace it with good, but then we got to hold on with everything we got to that good, to cling to that good with every desperate thing we have. Paul tells us how we start this in verse 10. By being devoted to one another in brotherly love and to honor one another, right? So to be devoted is to feel or display strong affection for another. How can your love be sincere when you lack devotion for the body of Christ? I want to ask that this morning. You know why people don't want to come to Christianity anymore? Because they see how we treat each other. Why would you want to be a part of a group that is even harder to get along with than the world? You would probably get treated better by unbelievers than by believers, and that is a problem. And it's not only a problem for us, it's a problem with God. If you are the body of Christ, if you literally are a member of Jesus Christ's body, 
why would you not feel strong affection for another part of the body? Why? Don't you know that what happens to one happens to all? Paul constantly is dealing with this in the first century church, right? You know, you're <laughs> destroying one another, you're devouring one another. He tells them, we do the same thing. You know why grumbling is a sin? Because it causes destruction. A lot of people like to grumble, though, right? Oh, they might not call it grumbling, but it's grumbling. Gossip, slander, all those things that we're not supposed to do, but we, we hide it as something else. But God knows the truth. God can see the intent. God can see the destruction it's causing. We are one in Christ. Nothing wrong with criticism. If you have a relationship with somebody, if I know you love me, and what you're saying is about me being better for Jesus, that's fine. But if you just don't like what I'm doing, I don't care. And you shouldn't care either if I don't like what you're doing, if the relationship isn't about glorifying God. Because our opinions don't matter. It's God's opinion that matters. Honor is to hold in respect. How can your love be sincere when you lack honor for the bride of Christ? You see that person right there? You want to know the easiest way to have a problem with me? Start doing something to her. Start. That's, what, that's going to be a problem for you. And I'm just a man. Imagine if you did that to God's bride. You think I love my wife? How much more does God love his bride? Stop beating each other up. Start being the church and stop being like the world. That's what he's saying. You want to have a sincere love? Don't talk about it. Be about it. Do something with what you know. Stop acting like you're something you're not. And maybe you need to come to terms with God on your own part, and that's fine. But check yourself in the scriptures. You know what I'm saying? And good thing, God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our weakness and all of our failure because we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone through his finished work at the cross. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about sanctification here. Do you look more like Jesus? Do other people want to come to see the God you serve because of who you are? If not, that's a problem. God should be compelling in your life so that other people want to see him. Imagine if Snow White had respected the dwarves properly. She would have listened to them and trusted them and not eaten the apple at all. Because remember, they begged her not to talk to anyone outside of themselves, right? And not to take anything offered to her from a stranger. Yet, her devotion to them was incomplete and she did not honor them high enough to avoid the harm that came to her and through her to them. Because they were hurting alongside her. Because they were part of her family. And when we hurt each other, we hurt ourselves. Cling to what is good and be sincere in love. Then Paul gives us a bullet list of how we can actively accomplish clinging to love in verses 11 through 13. Don't lag in diligence or earnest effort, but instead be fervent in spirit in serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, or the NIV will say be patient in hope. Persevere in tribulation or joyful in affliction. Be devoted to prayer or faithful in prayer. Contribute to the needs of others. Practice hospitality. Practice a generous reception. This is like he gives you a bullet point list. You want to strive for some good things? These are things you should be trying out. Try to do these things. And by the way, you don't have to do these on your own. I've equipped you. I've given you the spirit of love. I've given you my spirit. You don't have to do this on your own. 
God will do this for you. Decrease, I will increase, and you will naturally rejoice in your hope. Decrease, and I will increase, and you will persevere more in tribulation. Do you want to be more hospitable? Then let the Holy Spirit reign even more in your life. This isn't a list of things to do. It's a list of who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? If you're going to guard yourself from Satan's schemes for your destruction, you must be actively, desperately clinging to God's goodness in these ways. Because if you don't, you're going to leave room for Satan to move. And he will move. And in this way, we make our love sincere, or we have a love that is without hypocrisy. And it's going to be difficult. Just because God equips us doesn't mean it's not difficult, right? And we're really going to see how difficult it is once we get to the next verses, 14 through 18. The sincerity of our love will be tested. So will our calling to truly be living sacrifices in Christ. See the first thing it says. Bless and don't curse those who persecute you. That's not easy, right? That's really not easy. People that are tearing me down, tearing me down, tearing me down, and you want me to do what? Bless them? What does that mean? Well, to bless means to speak well of. Speak well, and, and not just out here, right? God could care less of what comes out here if it's not sincere here. Speak well of in your thoughts, in your prayers. Desire what's good for them, even though they desire your destruction. This means we are to speak well of those who speak to disrupt, disrespect, or discredit us. Satan wants to destroy your life by causing you to hate the people who persecute you. But God wants you to extend the hand of grace to them as he created them for his own. And our battle is not against flesh or blood. In fact, we ought to find the idea of cursing someone repugnant and detestable. That is what God sees. It's not only I'm holding back, it's that I see it the way God sees it. For me to talk bad, especially about the church, to tear somebody down the church, we should see that as repugnant or detestable. That's the bride of Christ, that's the body of Christ. In the world that God created, the world that he died to save. He says, rejoice alongside those who are rejoicing. Don't get jealous. Don't envy. Be happy for them. Rejoice with them. He also says, mourn or weep with those who weep. Don't be so closed off to emotion that you can't feel with someone else who's hurting. You need to walk through that pain with them. We're called to that in Christ. Their pain is our pain. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Humility is the number one quality of a successful relationship. What do I mean by that? I mean, we are to put ourselves on level footing with others in terms of our inherent value and value what others bring to a relationship. We are no better or worse than anyone else. We all have inherent value and that God has created us for a purpose and he's died so that we can, rec or that we can live out that purpose it's like when I buy gasoline at the pump. Whether I use it or not, I'm paying for the inherent value of that gasoline, the potential of it. We all have potential because of Christ. And we are to be on level footing as a result of our humanity. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You want equality? Look at the scriptures. Equality can only be recognized in humility. That each person has value. Never pay back evil that against you. 
or to you with evil in return. We should detest the idea of doing this, of responding to evil with evil. If we don't, if we like that, if we crave that, we need God to clean our hearts. That's not godly. That's not good. Imagine if God wanted that, where would you be? Where would you be? It says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. When that's your heart, maybe you need to, to self-examine and look at what God is forgiving you of right now. We should strive in all things as far as it is our decision to live at peace with everyone. Living at peace is good according to God's plan. It doesn't mean we don't take a stand. It means the way we stand looks different than the way the world stands. We learn how to be meek. We learn how to be gently assertive rather than being overly aggressive and militant. We stand up for what we believe in. We draw a line in the sand, but we do in a way that honors God. We're willing to die for what we believe in rather than to kill in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We'd rather us die knowing where we're going than someone else die not knowing where they're going. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Paul finishes in verses 19 through 21. Never take revenge of your own, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, God is the one who judges justly, and he will avenge what needs avenging. We are called to extend the hands of grace and mercy, and not just in our behavior, but this starts in our heads, moves through our hearts, and then into our behavior. Do not let Satan fool you into believing you're not at war or that you're at war with each other. Both of those are wrong. See, he hates you and those brothers and sisters with you here today. He wants us to fight with each other, to give up on each other, and to give up and give over to sin. But God is telling us to cling to him because he is good. Amen? And to detest the evil things that Satan is employing, whether they look good or not. Remember last week, Andrew told us that Christian transformation begins in the head, the mind, that moves through our heart, our desire, and into our hands, our behavior. This week, evil will seem appealing, and vengeance will feel right, but we know that our love must be without hypocrisy. Our love must be sincere. Let what we know to be true be more important than what we feel this week. Let what we know to be true be more important than what we feel this week so we can magnify the Father. Amen? I'll leave you with Paul's final exhortation. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You want to win? Be good. Just as the Father is good.